The following Dharma talk was given by Ron Hogan Green. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at cmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning to all. Not all bodhisattvas are Buddhist. Or rather, sometimes they're Buddhist and they don't know it. This World is Not Conclusion by Emily Dickinson. This world is not conclusion. A species stands beyond, invisible as music, but positive as sound. It beckons and it baffles. Philosophy, don't know. And though a riddle, at the last, sagacity must go. To guess it puzzles scholars. To gain it, we are born, contempt of generations and crucifixion shown. Faith slips and laughs and rallies, blushes of any sea, plucks at a twig of evidence and asks a vain the way, B-A-N-E, weather vane. Much gesture from the pulpit Strong hallelujahs roll. Narcotics cannot still the tooth that nibbles at the soul. So as usual with her poems, at first pass, it's hard to take in. So I'll go slow and take a look at what she's saying. This world is not conclusion. That's the opening line. There's no end point. Conclusions are interesting, aren't they? We live in a world of conclusions. End points. This is that. So we don't have to ask or look any further. And that temptation is there within our practice as well. We think we know something, and we conclude that's it. You know, it's a pretty fundamental scientific principle, I forget the name, that every system answers questions within that system. And because it's a system, it's not reality. There are things within that system that can't be answered. That if you're going to look closely into those questions, you're going to have to go outside the system. Maybe invent a new system. In a way, Zen is a system. And so we have to be careful of that. Not not to mistake the practice, what the practice is really pointing at. Not do away with the practice. But understand that eventually it too, in its own particular way, must go. This world is not conclusion. A species stands beyond. That's what we're doing here, what's beyond our conclusion, our understanding, our self. Invisible as music, but positive as sound. 
The word religion comes from the Latin for binding together, to connect that which has been sundered apart. And in seeking the deepest connection among things that superficially appear to be apart, the objectives of religion and science are pretty close, almost identical. The methods are very different. The two fields have very different approaches. Science relies on objective observation and religion on subjective experience and faith. But more recently within the scientific approach, the understanding of quantum physics has shown that there is no objective experience. There ain't, there can't be. There's always someone experiencing the measurement and affecting it by that experience, affecting it. There is nothing objective about that. Subtle, but not objective. An observer, the one studying some things, seems always to affect what is perceived, what is measured. When asked, when asked folks why they have come to Zen practice, different responses are, are offered. This poem feels like Emily is capturing what draws many of us in. When we look at what is before us, our purpose in life, that's an important question. What are you doing here? What is this all about, Alfie? Which is really dating myself. And when we look at our dissatisfactions with the choices that a semi-mandated and steered by our society, by our common misunderstandings of who we are, we may be deeply unsatisfied. And it's a big step to even acknowledge that, because for most of us, we don't see that. We just accept this is how it is, and this is who I am, and this is where, you know, it's the old, you know, who am I? Well, here's a picture of me, that's who I am. Something is missing. Perhaps it's a deeper and more trustworthy understanding of who we are and who we are in this society, in this world, because this is a time and a place. And perhaps a desire for a fundamental understanding of this being, this life and our place within it, begins to matter to us. I would hope. And it, these are very personal inquiries. The way you answer it and address it and ask the question is unique to you and your life and needs to be. It has to be yours. And this dis-ease is challenging because it's not so easily visible from our well-trained, well-educated, direct manner, directed manner of seeing and understanding ourselves. It's just not on the surface. There has to be some connection within ourselves 
that we're missing something, that this is not all it can be from our usual way of understanding ourselves. This world is not conclusion. Boy, that line grabs me. Here it is. Doesn't have an endpoint. Doesn't have an answer that makes that I can fit into the tiny box of my mind. That line is like reminds me of Dogen's tendency to state the entirety of his offering in the first line of each Shobo Genzo chapter. It's all there in the first line. And then the rest of the chapter takes that apart and looks at it from many different angles. And then the tendency is in the last line, the last paragraph, to sum it up like that first line. Interesting way. Does the conclusion, the business of living out of the world's conclusions and judgments, and the demands, the demand that we pin ourselves within that, does that work for you? Now, I'm asking a particular group of people. I appreciate that. Uh, Probably most of you, to one degree or another, would say no. In fact, I'd be worried within this group if you said, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. There is no problem. What are you doing here? It's a beautiful Sunday. You could be so many other places. There must be, there has to be, A species stands beyond, invisible as music, but positive as sound. You see both sides there? Invisible as music, but positive of sound. That's you. That's you. That's your true nature. It's invisible. But here it is. It's different for each of us, of course. And yet music at its best, shows us a way to appreciate how it opens up up our sense of our being to a much wider understanding of who we are and of that inherent wholeness that goes beyond this physical body and beyond our conclusions. And yet, How this happens is invisible. A couple of times in my long career in sessions, in the middle of a session, I won't explain how, I wasn't doing anything wrong, I happened to listen to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony in the middle of session. And so I could completely take in the choral part, and I found myself sobbing in tears, completely taken apart. How this happens is invisible. And of course, what makes music music, to a large extent, is the silence between the notes. That's its very nature. Without that silence, there is no music. Sound familiar? That's Zazen. It's the silence between the notes, thoughts, plans, conclusions. They're there, and yet it's the silence between them 
that so creates the wholeness of it, the magic of it. Possible to describe, yet a species that stands beyond, beyond our usual understanding of ourselves and others, of how we usually go about concluding. This world is not conclusion. A species stands beyond, invisible as music, but positive as sound. It beckons and it baffles. Philosophy? Don't know. And though a riddle at the last, sagacity, sagacity, wisdom must go. In 1996, the internationally known philosopher Herbert Fingeret argued that fearing's one death was irrational. Doesn't make any sense. He wrote, he said, when you die, there's nothing. So why should we fear death? If we won't be around to experience it, there's nothing to be afraid of. Then he got closer to his own nothing. Many of you have seen the short film, it's on Vimeo, Being 97, which is done by his son and describes that journey. We see in this film that his coming death begins to frighten him. And facing his death up close, up close and personal, death is always personal. He cannot think himself out of his anxiety and his fear. He can't. He's smarter than the average bear. He's overeducated than most. But he continues to think obsessively that he's going to die soon. Okay. Change is frightening. In the late 1960s, there were many, and 70s, there were many things going on. The Vietnam War was going on, which was a fake war that the U.S. entered on a lie. The fact that everyone I knew in my cohort was smoking pot. The fact that the violence of the Democratic Convention in Chicago, and especially the murders of the students at Kent State by the National Guard, affected me personally and intimately. During those years, I was in high school and college. There was a song among many songs that reflected those times of dynamic change, upsetting this, the change, upsetting the status quo. So with apologies to you <laughs> and Buffalo Springfield, there's something happening here. What it is, and exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there telling me I got to beware. I think it's top time we stop children. What's that sound? Everyone look what's going down. There's battle lines being drawn. Nobody's right if everybody's wrong. Young people speaking their minds getting so much resistance from behind. 
and on from there. Those times resonated me. And what was happening then and now feels very similar. This is a very particular time. We're a bit sheltered if we live in the monastery, but it won't matter. Across a broad range of our life and culture, times are changing. Of course, life is constantly changing. Times are always changing. That's life. That's what life is. But there are times when the changes are rapid and destabilizing, visibly affecting our lives and the cultures that we're embedded in, obviously. Sagacity must go, meaning our past ways of discernment and judgment and understanding aren't holding. Our so-called wisdom is relative and subjective subject to these changing conditions. Our attempts to hold on to create safety and stability based on these old ways of securing our place become exposed. We begin to see and acknowledge how limited that so-called knowledge and wisdoms of our culture fail so many beings in so many ways and how those in power feel so threatened and react out of these changes. Get so much resistance from behind. And although these changes are across a broad spectrum, they have fixed views and labels of who we are in common. And here it is, the world we have. And, as always, change brings changes. Always in ways we cannot anticipate. We don't know what's going to happen, ever. In fact, I have a kind of a theory that the expected outcome that usually happens from a series of results usually ends up causing the opposite reaction. And if you've ever raised a child, you know what I'm talking about. So across a broad spectrum of our child, of our child, <laughs> of our life, the technological changes of, art of, of AI, quantum physics, our changing environment with the resultant destruction and consequences of that, and the changing racial and gender perspectives, all profoundly and inevitably affect all of our lives. It is happening. And we're so close, it's sometimes hard to see, but it is happening. This is so familiar to me, this time. And so to guess it puzzles scholars. No one can figure it out. No one knows what the fuck is going on. <laughs> not me, not you, not anybody. The pundits and intellectuals have no insight into where these changes will lead us, and neither do we. There's an interesting quote from Niles Bohr, the physicist, Nobel Prize winner. He said, 
The fact that religions through the ages have spoken in images, parables, and paradoxes. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Means simply that there is no other way of grasping the reality to which they refer. We can't come to conclusions. Not trustworthy ones, because they won't hold up. He added, but that does not mean it is not a genuine reality. And splitting this reality into an objective and a subjective side will not get us very far. It's splitting it into an objective and subjective side is a way of rejecting reality. It's a conclusion. And that koan of objective and subjective of absolute and relative is at the heart of this practice. It's a koan. It invites us in a life to constantly come back to seeing the whole thing, to seeing both sides now. Faith slips and laughs and rallies, blushes if any see, plucks at a twig of evidence and asks a vein, a weather vein, the way. So we can relate to faith slips and laughs and rallies. That's Zen practice. That's facing ourself, right? The doubts, the challenges, the insecurities, and the faith. All in one tied up bundle of our being. Someone asked me in Dyson this week, does enlightenment really exist? I didn't say it because I was kinder. But yeah, but not the way you think of it. Yes. So here we are, face to face with ourselves, with our life, with our death, which is coming. That's what life means. It means you're going to die. You don't get to die unless you've been alive. It's a package deal. Do we understand that? There's nothing wrong with death. It's part of life and vice versa. Faith slips and laughs. We laugh at ourselves, right? There I go again, doubting myself or trusting the wrong aspects of myself that don't help and create more harm or no, I won't. I won't look at that. I will not look at that. I won't look at it so strongly that I don't even know I'm not looking at it. And yet, in my life, it's telling me, this ain't working. And I still won't look at it. Blushes of NEC, because it's embarrassing to admit that to ourselves, right? I don't want to admit that. Plucks at a twig of evidence, you know, give me some, give me some help here. Take the responsibility for my life away from me. I don't want it. I'll, I'll grab it. We've all done that. We'll do this. Some equivalent of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, whatever that is, which is not all bad, because there's a, there's a, a way of enrolling within your life and practice that allows us the space and the timing 
to trust ourselves enough to face what we could not face before, but now can. And that's essential. That's a deep and profound trust that even though now I cannot see this, I will if I persist. I will. It will teach me. And one of the most wondrous things, myself excluded, is to be around this place 20 or 30 or more years and see people transform and see them come alive in a way that they would never envision, could not have envisioned in the past. And I'm blushing. I'm making fun of myself when I say myself excluded. But I actually can't see it. But here it is. So when we stop being at the mercy of the weather vane, blowing in the wind, and begin to clearly see the weather in ourself, and to see what is going on here, and live it and own it, then in the strangest way possible, we are invulnerable. It doesn't matter which way the wind blows. I am here. I am here. And knowing I am here, I know you are here, whether or not you know it at this moment. That's what the Buddha said. You know, this practice is to destabilize us, just like change does. This practice is change. It's change pointed at directly at our delusions of our being, at the places that we suffer to address that. So how do we cultivate a place where amid our many fears, our uncertainty, there's so much disruption and so many changes in our perspectives of each other, where can we stand in confidence, in deep faith and open inquiry, Allow that openness, not conclude, but not be stupid. Conclusions are useful sometimes, but they're always provisional. They're always systematic, and the system only goes so far, as we all know when we practice. And how can we rest in confidence that we are true to our being within the uncertainty that we live in. There's a relative aspect in that our appearance shapes our life. That's one perspective. Sometimes it shapes, we are shaped by our talents, by our purpose. That's, as I said, one perspective. But what is beyond our senses, beyond our thoughts about our perceptions of ourself and others, beyond what we may understand, conclude, beyond our relative and momentary values, yet is always present and evident in our experience when we look closely. How do you look closely? Well, you have to stop moving and you have to shut up. Our opinions are not invited here because it interferes 
with looking closely. Stay. <laughs> In this way, we need no weather vane to ask the way. We experience the way as our being. It's right here. Where else would it be? Where else could it be? Ultimately, there's no out there. How does this occur? We cannot arrive at beyond conclusion by thinking about it, by calculating or figuring it out. It ain't going to happen. We will spend our whole life doing that, and it ain't going to happen. Or by knowing something about what is inherently beyond knowledge. Kazan, who popularized Soto Zen a few decades after Dogen, put it this way. Zazen means to clarify the mind ground and dwell comfortably. I'm emphasizing that word, comfortably. In your actual nature. This is called revealing yourself and manifesting the original ground. It is not far away from you. It cannot be far away from you. Revealing yourself to yourself and thus manifesting the original ground. No spinning weather vane here. He says in Zazen, both body and mind drop off. And the interesting thing about that is we don't even know it. We don't even know it because to know it is to be apart from it. Another conclusion. So the zazen I'm talking about is not meditation. And many of you have heard Daito go down the liturgy of what zazen is not. It's not those things. It's something beyond the words and ideas. And so Kazan says, Zazen is far beyond the form of sitting or lying down. It has nothing to do with that. Those are props to help us. Free from considerations of good and evil, Zazen transcends distinctions between ordinary people and sages. It goes beyond judgments of deluded or enlightened. Zazen includes no boundary between sentient beings and the Buddha. Therefore, put aside all affairs and let go of all associations. And he tells you how to do this. He says, do nothing at all. Isn't that wonderful? Do nothing at all. The six senses produce nothing. And I would add, even though we're conscious and aware in our zazen, just less and less self-aware, less and less self-referential. And all along the way, it's happening. But when we measure it, where do we measure it from? From ourself. So we think nothing's happening because I'm measuring the immeasurable from the self-perspective of me. And what does me want? Always more of me. 
whatever me wants. That will never, ever end. So let me assure you now that as you go deeper into your own wisdom, you will always have a self and you will always have endless desires. And you can always practice them. And it's not for nothing that Dogen said, the practice is awakening. The practice itself is awakening. Do you get that? You're waking up, you're in the midst of it when you do Zazen. Not when you do meditation, not when you practice in order, well, I want to feel a little better and, you know, have harmony within my life. You're never going to have harmony within your life. <laughs> Times are changing. The apple cart's getting upset. The Zazen is designed to invite you to that. What is this? Its name is unknown. It cannot be called body. It cannot be called mind. Trying to think of it, the thought vanishes. Trying to speak of it, words die. It's like a fool, an idiot. It's as high as a mountain, deep as an ocean, without peaks or depths. Its brilliance is unthinkable. It shows itself silently. Between sky and earth, only this whole body, your whole body, is seen. So Kazan perfectly mirrors Emily, as he says. If you wish to clarify the mind ground, you should relinquish your various types of limited knowledge and understanding. Throw away worldly affairs and Buddha Dharma. Eliminate all delusive emotions. When the true mind of the soul reality is manifest, the clouds of delusion will clear away and the moon of the mind will shine brightly. It's happening. You are doing this, but you don't get to own it. I am not it, yet it is me. Both sides right there the whole of your life, deluded, enlightened, your being. When we are thinking and listening, we are not at rest. The mind is still running. Zazen brings everything to rest, ultimately. The still point, which flows freely. Isn't that wonderful? A mind flows freely in the stillness. Kazan says, think of what is without thought. Hmm, how can you think of that? Be beyond thinking. We have to trust something we cannot know of. It is beyond what we know. It is our true life, our home. But it's beyond what we know. And then he says, arising from stillness, carry out activities without hesitation. This moment is the koan. Every single one of us is doing koan practice. It's called life. Much gesture from the pulpit. Strong hallelujahs roll. Narcotics cannot still the tooth that nibbles at the soul. If you didn't know it, Emily was not a big fan of churches and the men who ran them. In fact, she started a, 
a poem with the line, with the line, some keep the Sabbath by going to church. I keep it by staying home. <laughs> Perfect. No one other than yourself can ease your pain and address the fundamental question that nibbles at your soul. If we're going to survive these troubling times, and what may follow, which we don't know, we have to cultivate the clarity, our natural clarity, that's already present, that can shine brightly. When we are thinking and listening, we're not at rest. Zazen brings everything to rest. It flows freely. Zazen is like returning home and sitting in peace. What is essential is invisible to the eyes. What is that? It's your boundlessness, which is manifest in your loving heart. It's there in every one of us. We are all included in your loving heart. And you too are there. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as cushions, incense, liturgical instruments, dharma books, and more, visit monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.